This is a special Share Encore production. You can give at MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. If you listened to the last hour, Dr. Greg Borgon did a fantastic job as we were processing uh, verse uh, 4 and 6 in chapter uh, 6 of Hebrews, talking about uh, losing your salvation. And boy, he got down to the last paragraph and we ran out of time. So I want to read the last paragraph to his uh, statement and study today. In any case, The person who is at the point of no return, who has apostatized and by his actions symbolically crucifies Christ again and subjects him to public disgrace, is saved even if by the skin of his teeth. One who has made an honest and sincere commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is saved, not because he warrants it, but because of God's word and God's grace. It is true that only God knows the depth of one's sincerity, and there are those who profess to be Christians but are not. Here, though, the author is speaking to Christians. Man, in his free will, is still capable of rebellion, even after sanctification to the point of degeneracy and complete stagnation. It is against this condition that the author warns his readers. They, too, through disobedience, are capable of apostasy the ultimate end of continual backsliding. So that is the conclusion to Greg's statement that he was sharing in the uh, last part of the last hour. So if you missed any of that, this is what it was. And if you need to go back and hear the whole thing and then add on this couple of minutes, that will make it complete. So my apologies to Dr. Greg Borgon for me not giving him the right amount of time to complete it in its entirety. But this hour, I look forward to reconnecting with my friend and Bible teacher and mentor, Jeff Verdorn, who's going to continue our study in the book of of Revelation and an end time. So we are in lesson two today. Jeff, welcome back to the show. Good afternoon, Bill. So we got a lot to cover today, and I just ate up a couple of your minutes. I know, and I'm sitting here going, okay, let's, we got to do an overview of Revelation and get through Matthew 24. Do you think we can do all that today? Yes, I do. I have great faith in us. Okay. Well, let's, let's do this, because last week, let's just do a re- little review, because it was a couple weeks ago. Last time, we talked about the high-level overview of the end time. So I want to set that stage just really quick in okay. about 30 seconds, that I believe God's plan for the end of the age begins with the rapture of the church, where the church is caught up to heaven. This is when Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'll take you back to be where I am. And so that represents the rapture. The church is caught up out of the, uh, up into the air. Then comes a seven-year tribulation. This is technically called Daniel's 70th week, but it's a, a seven-year period of God pouring out his wrath through trumpets and bowl judgments and the Antichrist and the mark of the beast and the whole bit. And that is a seven-year period. At the end of that period, Christ returns. So we see this in Revelation 19, where Jesus is riding back on a horse uh, with the armies of heaven following him, and he returns to establish his kingdom. 
one of the pictures is it, the second coming is he's, his eyes are ablaze and the sword is coming out of his mouth and he treads the winepress of the wrath of God Almighty. And so he comes the second time in wrath and in judgment, right? He comes as the first time as a little baby. The second time he doesn't come as a little baby. He comes as a conquering king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And then he establishes his kingdom for a thousand years on earth. And that is, that's why we pray, by the way, in the Lord's prayer, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And scripture says that that kingdom on earth will last a thousand years. That's when Jesus rules and reigns. And we'll get to that kingdom and some of the descriptions from scripture about what that kingdom is like, probably in our last lesson, by the way. Um, after that is judgment day for the lost, the great white throne judgment. And then the end of the book describes this eternal state of the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. And God says of this time that nothing unrighteous will ever enter into it. And he says in Revelation 21, and then the dwelling of God is with man. And so heaven and earth literally come together for all of eternity. Uh, and that's the eternal state. So that's kind of the overview of last time. Yeah, well uh, done. Just kind of a, a broad picture of kind of God's plan for the end of the age. Today, I wanted to get into some of the details of the introduction of Revelation and just the first couple chapters, and then turn to Matthew 24, which that question that Jesus was asked is Jesus's longest answer to any question in the Bible. And it has to do with the end times. So it's pretty important. All right. All right. So let's go. Revelation chapter one. So first, I want to point out a couple of things. One, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's his revelation. Revelation, by the way, is the Greek apocalypsis, and it just means the unveiling or the revealing. Uh, so it's the revealing of Jesus Christ, specifically about the time when he's going to come back. Really, all of Scripture, by the way, is the revealing of Jesus Christ. I have one of my lists is I have a list of how Jesus is described in every book of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, you can find the, the person and character of Jesus Christ. And so this is the last book of the Bible, obviously, and it starts out with the apocalypse or the apocalypse or the revealing of Jesus Christ. Now, what does he say? Which God gave him, Christ, to show his servants what must soon take place. So the question right away is, and some in Christianity uh, believe one way and others in Christianity believe another way, that this, the events written in the book of Revelation, some say are past, they've already occurred, they were fulfilled in and around 70 AD in the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem uh, and so on. Others, like me, believe all these events are future. So right away, we see this verse that says, he has come to show his servants what must soon take place. Well, I think this is a book of future things, right? It's mm -hmm. things that are still yet to come upon the earth. Second, I wanted to point out uh, in verse 3, it says this. It says, blessed is the one who reads the words of the prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it. You know that the book of Revelation 
is the only book I know of that starts with this promise that you will be blessed if you read and heed the words that are written in it. I love it. When I first started studying the end times, the book of Revelation and so on, one, you know what one of my blessings was? I had several blessings through this study for me. The first is a, is a tremendous sense of urgency for the times that we live. This is about the end times. God has told us what's going to happen in the future. And one of the things that's going to happen is the church is going to be caught out of the way and great wrath is going to come upon the world. Now, if we have friends and family and coworkers and neighbors who aren't saved yet, you know, th- they risk right now, if the rapture was occurred, of being left behind. Remember Tim mm-hmm. Lay's yeah. uh, miniseries book series called Left Behind. And so one of the blessings for me when, when I started studying the end times was a sense of urgency that people hear what God has told us about the future. I mean, how many billions of dollars do we spend in this country on on different ways to try to tell our futures in terms of, you know, the Zodiac or palm reading or, you know, whatever God's told us. And he's always right about prophecy. Amen. Amen. So that's one. The other one was that when you really study the end times, yes, you need to understand the book of revelation, but information about the end times is all over scripture. And so you really have to put these pieces all together. So one of my blessings was I, I came to the firm conclusion that this book, from Genesis to Revelation, which has all the pieces in it about God's plan for the end of the age, is from God. He is the one who is telling the story, and I can trust this book. Um, But bottom line, Revelation promises a blessing for those who read and heed the words that are written in it. Cool. Very cool. All right. So now, then, um, there's a description. John sees Jesus. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. He is God, right? And so John actually sees a vision of this Son of Man, and he tells him to write on a scroll letters to these seven churches, which then show up in chapters 2 and in 3. But before we get there, I want to show you verse 19. So Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Because John says this, Jesus says this to John, He says, write, therefore, three different things. Write what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later or after these things. So John is told to write the things you see, the things that are, and the things that will take place later. Three different things. Well, that is actually a really good outline for the book of Revelation. Chapter 1 is the things that John saw, the vision of Jesus. The things that are, are the seven letters to the seven churches in chapters two and three. These are seven literal churches in Asia Minor that Jesus has uh, a description of himself. Each letter has a description of Jesus, kind of here's what you're doing good, here's what you're doing bad, here's what I'd like you to work on, and a promise to overcomers. And we actually covered those over promises to overcomers last time. And then we get to chapter four. So I'm not going to cover each one of those letters um, in, in any detail. Okay. But I, I want to bring you to Revelation chapter four. Because in four, John then says this. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. 
And the voice I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said this, come up here and I will show you what must soon take place after this. And it's like, okay, wow. Where are we in our outline? Well, John now said, I'll sh or Jesus says to John, now I'm going to show you what must take place after these things, the third part of our outline. So Jesus tells us, here's where you're at in the outline. So you wrote the things that you saw, you wrote the things that are, and now you're, I'm going to show you what must soon take place or the things that are going to come after these things. And everything else throughout the rest of the book of Revelation are the future things that will take place on earth. That's exciting, Jeff. This is probably a great place to take a break. Jeff Redorn is my guest as we continue our study on end times with him. We'll take a short break and be right back, I promise. This is a special Share Encore production. You can give at MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you. I'm back with Jeff Redorn. We're talking about end times and in Revelation chapter 119, it says, Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Looks like, Jeff, we're going to continue our discussion on what will take place later. Absolutely. Okay. I love that song. I, Isn't that a good song? Oh, it's song? a great song. So here's the thing. So from 4-1, John's now going to see all the things that are going to take place later. And it's all the details, all the events and characters and stuff of the of the end times, of the tribulation period. But I want to point out, John, here's a, John is sitting on the island of Patmos. So chapter 1 tells us he's on the island of Patmos on the Lord's day. And he hears a voice that sounds like a trumpet, and he's caught up to heaven. Well, what does that sound like? Sounds like the rapture, doesn't it? First mm -hmm. Thessalonians 4 says that uh, there'll be the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds, and there they'll be with the Lord forever. I mean, it's, 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 it's a perfect parallel to the rapture passage that Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, and I think John represents the church being caught up to heaven at the beginning of this tribulation period. Because the next thing we see is John is in the throne room of God. Now this scene, I, you know, we can't go through all the details of chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Revelation, but I'd urge your listeners, if you want to know what heaven's like, I know there's been a lot of books written in the last you know, 15 years or so on heaven. But if you want to read about heaven from the Word of God, read Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And by the way, you can read Isaiah 6 and uh, Ezekiel 1 and Daniel 7. There's a number of places where we see this throne, this dwelling place of God, where these creatures and these angels are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and is to come. But we actually see in this scene 24 elders most commentators believe that those 24 elders in some way represent the church. So the church is already in heaven before the first judgment, the first seal, is broken, which is going to occur. 
in just a minute in Revelation chapter 6. So then there's this passage in chapter 5 where we have this picture of God on the throne, and he's holding this scroll, and the scroll is sealed. And John gets really sad because he says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders says to John, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has triumphed. He is able to open the scrolls and its seven seals. Verse 6, it says, then I saw the lamb looking as if it had been slain. That's Jesus. Standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and by the elders. And he comes and takes the scroll out of God's hand, and he starts to open the seals. I got chills. Because it says, yeah, I know it. It does. Every, every time I read that, I get chills. It's mm-hmm. like, what a powerful scene in heaven. And they sang a new song, and all of heaven sings a new song when he begins to open the scrolls. We should all probably memorize this song because we're going to have to be singing it. (laughs) You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. All right, so 4 and 5 are this scene from from the throne of heaven. I just got to warn you, uh, Jeff, you're making this very exciting. Well, you know, it is exciting. You know, <laughs> know. when you think about very exciting. It, I love the passage in Corinthians where it says, of our future destiny, eternity with the creator of the universe. Paul says, um, I th- oh, chapter 6-ish in, in 1 Corinthians, the eye has not seen, nor has the ear heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man, the wonders that God has prepared for us. As exciting as it can get by reading some of the passage we'll cover over the next several weeks, it's going to be even more than that. Mm-hmm. And one of my hopes is, is that people who listen to this study over the next few weeks will, 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 will begin to get a vision of eternity that's much more tangible, much more real than maybe what they think right now. It's not, I said this last time, it's not just sitting on a cloud, you know, in some kind of netherworld existence strumming mm-hmm. a harp for all of eternity. Mm-hmm. That's not planned. So, all right. Revelation chapter six, the seals really quickly. The first things that start to happen in this seven year tribulation period is this. So chapter six, verse one, the lamb opens the first seal and there's this white horse and this white horse is holding a bow and he's bent on conquest. Long story short, that's the Antichrist. He's coming onto the scene during the seven-year tribulation period. So that's the first seal that releases or unleashes the Antichrist onto the world. First seal. The second seal is open. The Lamb opened the second seal, and there was a red horse. And it was given the rider power to take peace from the earth. Well, if you take peace from earth, that sounds like war, doesn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. All right, then the lamb opens up the third seal, and the third seal is a black horse, and its rider is holding a pair of scales in his hand, and the the rider says, a quart of wheat for a day's wage. Well, that sounds like food is going to turn very expensive during the tribulation period, right? A quart of wheat for an entire day's wage. Hmm, 
All right. And then the fourth seal is opened up. And John says, I heard a voice from the fourth creature saying, come. And there was before me a pale horse whose rider was called Death and Hades. And so the last rider is Death. Now, to finish up the seals really quick, but I want to focus on these four when we turn to Matthew 24 in a second. But those are the first four seals. Each one is represented by a horse. And if you remember, oftentimes, even in movies and books and literature, secular literature, it, uh, bad times will be represented by the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Well, guess what? You just read, we just read through the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So the four horsemen are commonly depicted. I've seen them in different movies and stuff, and they always represent, oh, something bad is going to happen. Well, that's where they get it from. They actually get it from the Bible, and it's representing the first stages of the end times coming upon the world. All right, then there's a fifth seal. It's some souls under the altar. I'm going to skip that. And then we get to the sixth seal. And I want to read this because this is important when we get to Matthew 24 in the next half hour. Okay. I watched, and Jesus, he, opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky turned, I'm sorry, and the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken. And the sky receded like a scroll. Remember that song, And the sky be rolled back as a scroll, right? That's where that comes from. Rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the princes and generals and the rich and the mighty slaves and every free man hid in caves, and they called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Now, not studying any further, that day, this day, when we have the earthquake and the sun and the moon and the stars and the mountains and the islands and the sky being rolled back and, and the world says, hide us from him who sits on the throne and from the Lamb, what day do you think that is? Does that sound like Christ's second coming when he comes to judge the world? Hide us from him. I'm going to submit and argue that this sixth seal is actually at the end of the tribulation. The vision of the seals is an overview. We just got an overview of the entire seven-year period by reading these seals. Well, all right, and Jeff, we're going to have to take our break. Is that all right? Yes. Can you hold that thought when we return? Yeah, we because can pick the, up... the, the last seal is, uh, we'll skip the last seal, the seventh seal, and when we come back, we'll go right to Matthew 24, and we'll see this all over again. Oh, cool. All right, Jeff Redoran's my guest. We continue our study on the book of End Time, on End Times and the book of Revelation. We'll be right back. This is a special Share Encore production you can give at MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Primetime, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the afternoon 
We are back studying and times with Jeff Verdorn, and we are um, uh, in our second uh, lesson of the series. We're going to do this for seven uh, times, so we're looking forward to learning more about end times. And Jeff, so far you're doing a bang-up job, so I appreciate the, all the work and study you've put into this and the way you present. You're a master. Well, I get excited every time I start talking about the end times. It's God's plan for the end of the age. And I literally, I, I mentioned this earlier, when I first started studying, I'd come home and I would tell my wife, it's like, why isn't this stuff on 60 Minutes or 2020 <laughs> or something? Mm-hmm. God's telling us what's going to come upon the world. And uh, I've been teaching it ever since for about 20 years. So. I love it. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, pick up where we left off. Let's turn to Matthew 24 now. So we're going to move from Revelation back to Matthew 24. And as I mentioned at the top of the hour, this is Jesus' longest answer to any question in the Bible. So what's the question? Right? Jesus is saying in Matthew 24, uh, and i am start with just in verse 1, I guess. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him to call his attention to the buildings. Do you see all these things, Jesus said? I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left upon another. Every one will be thrown down. Now just pause for a second. The history records that Jesus was absolutely right when he made the prediction that not one stone of the temple building would be left upon another. For in 70 AD, the Roman general Titus uh, laid siege on the city of Jerusalem, and it was a pretty nasty siege. A lot of people died. And when they finally broke through the siege and took control of the city and the temple area, um, history records that they they literally burned, set fire in the temple. The temple was burned, and gold, the gold that was inside the temple, melted down into the rocks, and the troops were ordered to pry every stone off another uh, to get at the gold that had melted down into the foundation stones. And to this day, if you just down from the Western Wailing Wall specifically, I've got a picture of this when I was there, there are still giant boulders that have been tossed off the Temple Mount area that most likely were part of that we know were part of the temple building structure. Hmm. And after 70 AD, not one stone was left upon another, just as Jesus prophesied. So let's continue. Verse 3. As Jesus was sitting at the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So this is a two-part question. This is so critical to understand this. Their first question was, when will this happen? Now, I just told you when this is going to happen. Jesus just said, not one stone will be left upon another. Now, if someone told you your your church was going to be torn down, you might ask them, well, when is this going to happen? Well, that's exactly what the disciples did. Jesus just said the temple's going to be torn down. And they said, well, Jesus, when is this going to happen? Do you think Jesus told them when the temple was going to be torn down? And the answer is no. He doesn't tell them the when, but we now know from history that it's 70 A.D., I want to focus on the second question. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Do you know that this age is going to come to an end? 
and the disciples understood that. The disciples knew that Jesus was going to return, and they asked him, what are some of the signs for your second coming and the end of the age? Now, one thought right at the beginning, the disciples did not have the rapture in view here. So there are no signs or prophecies for the rapture of the church, but these are signs for the second coming, which we know happens at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. Okay, With that in mind, let's start looking at the signs that Jesus said to look for before he returns to earth. Number one, verse four, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming that I am the Christ. So the first thing he says to look for is deceivers. Do you remember the first seal? that he broke off the off the scroll, it was the Antichrist, the deceiver, the chief deceiver. Jesus says, look out for deceivers. Revelation said the first seal was the deceiver. He then says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, and nation will rise against nation, nation and kingdom against kingdom. What was the second seal that we saw in Revelation? Remember, it was the red horse, and he said, a quart of wheat for a day's, I'm sorry, a red horse. And he said, the rider will take peace from the earth, meaning wars. Well, here Jesus says, look for wars. Look for the second seal, the rider on the white, on the red horse, wars. Then Jesus says, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. This is now the third horse, right? That third horse that said, the rider said, a quart of wheat for a day's wage. Well, expensive food points to famine, hunger. Jesus said, look for this third thing, the third horse. And then he says, look for this. Then you will be handed over and persecuted and put to death. Now, remember, he's talking to Israel here. He's talking to Israel. This is not the church, okay? So I don't have time to unpack that more. But this, the church is not in view yet here. So he's talking about Israel going into the tribulation period. This tribulation period is for Israel. In fact, the Old Testament calls it the time of Jacob's troubles. This whole period of time is for Israel. And he says, you'll be handed over and put to death. What was the fourth seal that we were to look for? Remember the rider on the pale horse? Mm -hmm. death, death and Hades. So Jesus says, look for four things, deceivers, wars, famine, and death. What were the first four seals that were opened from the scroll in, Re in the book of Revelation? Uh, Antichrist, wars, famine or expensive food, and the writer who was called death. Coincidence? No, of course not. These are the first four things that Jesus says to look for, and these are the first four main events, if you will, or themes of the seven tribulation period. So we know that Matthew 24 is describing the events of the tribulation period leading up to the second coming of Christ. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And I make a big deal out of this because some want to take the next few verses in Matthew 24 and apply it to today and the church and not the tribulation period and the second coming. So here's one. He says this in verse 14, and then the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as the testimony to all nations, and then 
the end will come. All right, I know most will teach that we need to preach the gospel to the whole world before the rapture happens or before the rapture can come or the end times generally. But this is describing the seven-year tribulation period, which says that the gospel will be preached to the whole world during this period of time, and then the end, the second coming, will come. You see the distinction? Mm -hmm. This is not a sign, or or not a sign, a, a condition that needs to be fulfilled by the church for the rapture to happen. But it is a sign that his second coming is is near during the tribulation period. You see the distinction? Mm-hmm. So now the obvious next question, Bill, is, well, does that then alleviate the church from its responsibility to preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth? No, of course not, right? Of course not. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Always be prepared to give an account for the hope that is within us. Uh, be salt and light in this world. Preach the gospel. Um, those are still admonitions to the church, and this, this, the fact that this references the tribulation and not today before the rapture, but during the tribulation before the second coming, is uh, does not get us out of the responsibility for being those kind of Christians that do preach the gospel to the world. All right. Then the last thing I want to point out in Matthew 24 before we get to the second coming is in verse 15. He says, so when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel. Let the reader understand, then let those in Judea flee to the mountains. And so what this is, is this was actually described and introduced to us way back in Daniel chapter 9, that in the middle of this seven-year period, in the middle of the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to set up some kind of abomination that causes desolation in the temple of God. And so we know that at this point in Matthew 24, we are now at the middle point of the tribulation period. And then what happens next? It says, Jesus says in verse 21, that there will be a great distress, distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. The second half of the tribulation three and a half years long of the seven-year tribulation, Jesus describes as a great distress that the world has never seen and will never see again. Now, the world's seen some pretty bad times, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. We've seen plagues, the Black Death, world wars, mass, uh, you know, millions killed at the hands of, you know, uh, bad leaders, evil leaders around the world over the centuries. Uh, We've seen some pretty bad times. But this period of tribulation, specifically the second half, is going to be the worst period of time that the world will ever see. Wow. Hmm. All right. So what happens next? Christ returns. The second coming. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. So here it goes. Immediately after the distress of those days, verse 29, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. What does that sound like? We just read that. Seal number six, right? The sun, the moon, the stars, the heavenly bodies shaken. That is the sixth seal. 
So it's at, it is at the sixth seal of revelation that Jesus is now returning. Immediately after the distress of those days, we got the sun, moon, stars, heavenly body, and at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. That's his second coming. He's coming back to rule and reign on his white horse. Revelation 19, eyes ablaze, sword coming out of his mouth. The armies of heaven were following him. He treads the winepress of the wrath of God, which is Armageddon, by the way. You've heard of this battle of Armageddon. That's Armageddon. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And then he establishes his kingdom for a thousand years. That's his second coming. So all the events of Matthew 24 are describing the events leading up to the second coming of Christ. Remember the question, Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so he tells him, this seven-year period of tribulation that's going to come on the world, will be characterized by deceivers, wars, famine, death, an abomination that causes desolation. Israel has to flee from Israel. There'll be a great distress that the world has never seen. And then immediately after the distress of those days, the world will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. (laughs) It's going to be a great day. Boy, is it ever. Let me take one last break. Jeffrey Dorn is my guest. We're talking about end times. We'll be back in just a little bit. This is a special Share Encore production you can give at MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you. I'm back with Jeff Verdorn. We're continuing our discussion on end times. And Jeff, you're doing a really a wonderful job. So uh, let's, we only have about nine minutes left. So let's get back to uh, the study. Well, let's close out this part of scripture then in Matthew 24. There's kind of two different truths here I think we should understand clearly. One is, so Jesus comes back at the end of Matthew 24 here in verse uh, 30, 31. And 31 then says, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. So some want to use this passage and say, well, that must be the church. Jesus must gather his elect, the church, at the end of the tribulation, and therefore it's used to justify a post-tribulation rapture. But who else is called? Now, definitely the church is called the elect, but who else is called the elect? And that is Israel. Mm -hmm. So I want to read from Isaiah and tell you what God says about Israel in the last days. Isaiah 43 says, Do not be afraid, for I am with you, Israel. I will bring your children from the east, gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Well, that sounds an awful lot like Matthew 24, verse 31, where he gathers his elect from the four winds winds from one end of heaven to the other. 
So who is this? I think this is Israel, and specifically the remnant of Israel, who is saved at the second coming of Jesus Christ. So Romans 11 says, and so all Israel will be saved. And next time, we will start talking about some of the people groups. I don't know if we'll get to Israel next time, maybe the time after that. But we need to understand Israel's future in God's prophetic plan. And the quick answer is right now, God is not done with Israel. There is one of these uh, ologies out there called replacement theology that says that God is done with Israel. God rejected the Messiah, so, so God has rejected Israel. I'm sorry. Israel has rejected the Messiah, therefore God has rejected Israel. No, no, no. Romans makes it clear that God has not rejected Israel. There is a future for Israel, and in fact, there's a future salvation for what I believe is a remnant of Israel when Jesus comes. And here you get a glimpse of it in verse 31 when he gathers Israel, at just as promised in Isaiah 43, that he would gather them together. And Israel as a nation, the remnant of Israel as a nation, will enter into the millennial reign. Okay? And we will get to that truth. But we need to understand that right now just to understand verse 31. So in the time I have left, the last thing is this thing called this generation. What is this generation? Well, let me read it. Verse 32. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as the twigs get tender and the leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. There's no phrase uh, that's kind of more controversial in the end times than this generation. So what is this generation, according to this passage? Well, it's when it starts here, and it says, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as the twigs get tender and the leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Do you know that? Do you know that when you see buds on the tree, <laughs> what time of year it is? I do. Yeah, it's an obvious kind of sign, right? Mm-hmm. That's all Jesus is saying here. This is going to be obvious, guys. This is an obvious sign. We just spent a whole chapter telling you about all the things to look for for the second coming, which is the it is near part of this passage. It is near. Remember the question, what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? When you see all these things, it's going to be obvious. It is near. It's right at the door. And so he says, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. So what is this generation? Well, some insist that this generation is the generation that was listening to Jesus at that time, and therefore all these events must have been fulfilled in their lifetime. And so all these events were fulfilled, many say, in and around 70 AD, which would make all of the book of Revelation historical from our perspective and not prophetic, all right? So that's one view. Another view says that this fig tree represents Israel. Well, what would the blossoming of Israel be? Well, they say that it's Israel becoming a nation again, which happened in 1948 when Israel became a nation. 
Well, if that means that Jesus is going to come within a generation of Israel becoming a nation again, we should be able to figure that out, shouldn't we? Mm-hmm. Well, sure enough, there was a book that was out. By the way, a generation in, in, in the Bible can be defined. Actually, it's actually three different places that's defined differently, either 40 years or 70 years or 100 years. But if you take 1948 and add 40 years, well, that would put you at 1988. Well, sure enough, there was a book that came out, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Would Happen in 1988, and it actually sold millions of copies because everybody said, oh, hey, the rapture's going to happen in 1988. Well, then it didn't happen, right? And the guy who wrote the book uh, actually revised his book. He called it 89 Reasons Why the Rapture Would Happen in 1989. That one didn't sell quite as many copies (laughs) as the first one. Yeah. but my understanding was is he kept revising it year after year after year for a number of years. So that didn't come true. Well, then people said, well, maybe the fig tree blossoming is not Israel becoming a nation, but maybe it's when Israel recaptured Jerusalem after the 67 war. So let's add 40 years to 1967. You get to 2007. Oh, and by the way, the rapture isn't then. It's seven years before that, seven years before that that people figured out, and they said, okay, 2000, the year 2000. Well, did we see a lot of hype about the potential of the rapture mm-hmm. happening at the start of the new millennium we in the did. year 2000? Because of course we did. We saw a lot of end time stuff. The next one, if you take 70 years from, add 70 years, a potential definition of a generation to 1948, you end up seeing 2012 is the potential rapture date. Well, did we see a whole bunch of end times prophecy talk about the end of the world and Mayan calendars and so on and in 2012? And the answer is yes. And nothing happened. The rapture didn't come. Well, long story short, if you keep adding these times onto this, this uh, 1948 or 1967, you can come up with other dates. I believe you. we cannot know when the end times will begin, when the rapture is going to happen. So I don't think this fig tree represents Israel at all. I think it's simply Jesus saying, look, the signs are going to be obvious. And when you see these signs, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Well, what things? The things he just told us about for an entire chapter, the deceivers and the wars and the famines and the death and the abomination of desolation and the great distresses the world has never seen. The generation that sees those things will not pass away until it happens, until the second coming happens, because it's no more than seven years away. That is what I think this generation is. Mm. And the generation that sees those things, the signs that Jesus just told his disciples, who just asked him, what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the age? And he told them, it's that generation that sees those things that will see it happen. The Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory back to earth. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives and he will rule and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years for his kingdom. So we will talk about that on a future, a nice. future date. Nice.
Great. Cool. It's a great study, Jeff. And, uh, you know, I guess there's a whole bunch of questions coming in, which we didn't have time for, unfortunately, but I'm sending them to you and we will address <laughs> them uh, in a, in a, a future uh, time together. How's that? Okay. That sounds perfect. Some great questions that have come in, too. So thank you for that. Uh, I know it's got a lot of people interested. So we will have a Q&A coming up on another, uh, maybe next next time we, we uh, meet in a couple of weeks. Do I have time to answer one quick kind of nebulous question here? Yeah, Not nebulous. 40 but... seconds. Okay. You know, one of the things that people have asked over time, why should we study this? Why should we know this stuff? If we're not going to be here, why do we know it? Why do we need to know all this stuff? Well, we talked about the blessing, but two, I think when we understand our future and and our assurance of salvation and that we are going to inherit this kingdom that we're going to describe over the next weeks, I doesn't that grow our faith today right now in him? It does, in a big way. I think that's one of the big reasons. Yeah. Jeff, thanks so much. Have a great rest of the evening. Blessings to you and thanks, your Bill. family. Jeff Redorn has been my guest That wraps up our show for the day. Thanks to everybody who came on the program today and made it awesome. And thank you because you're awesome for listening and supporting Faith Radio. I hope you have a great night. I can't wait for tomorrow. We're going to continue our prayer series. It's going to be exciting and uh, lots more. See you tomorrow. Good night, everyone.